picks his pocket. Randall quickly launches a ball for Sapong. It's a foot race. CJ is there. He's got Hani on the break. Mukhtar! Seattle, meet the sounds of Nashville. Hani Mukhtar scores his 11th and 12th goals of the year. He sets a club record in the process, and Nashville SC earns three points in two matches against a pair of preeminent MLS clubs, Seattle and LAFC. Thanks to iHeartRadio for the call. That was Hani Mukhtar's game winner against Seattle as we look back into the midweek when things were a bit happier than they were <laughs> after Nashville's 2-1 loss to LAFC. This is Club and Country, the podcast of record for Nashville SC coverage from the two folks who've covered the club longer than anyone in their respective disciplines. I'm Nashville SC radio voice Wes Bowling. And I am Tim Sullivan, the proprietor of ClubCountryUSA.com. Nashville beats Seattle 1-0, and everybody's happy, and then they fall to LAFC 2-1 in a game that was talked about across the league for much bigger reasons than Nashville's three-point week. Uh, It was talked about because Gareth Bale, of course, made his debut in Major League Soccer. So did Giorgio Chiellini. And Tim, after the most lopsided loss in club history to Charlotte for one that we covered in mailbag therapy fashion last week, Nashville desperately needed to respond. They needed a win out of these two. Obviously, anything more than that was going to be really nice, too. Uh, Failing to earn a win would have ended up putting them below the playoff line. And at the end of those three matches in nine days, they did what they had to do. But they just kind of ran out of steam against the top team in the league. After Wednesday's game, I almost wanted to call Sunday a bonus match because you've Mm -hmm. gotten the three points from a a week that's going to be very difficult. You have the supporter shield leaders coming into town. Anything you get against them is, is, is going to be a success. That's it. Nashville did manage to play the best team in MLS toe to toe and was a whisker away from getting another point out of it and solidifying top five status in the West. So yes, two, one feels bad because it means you get zero points out of the game, but in terms of how it played out, there's, Plenty to be encouraged about against this LAFC team. I will agree with you. And I don't blame anybody for feeling aggrieved or disappointed to not get something out of that match, mm-hmm. especially the way those goals were conceded. They both seemed kind of cheap, but uh, Nashville scored a lot of cheap goals uh, over over the years, too. It's kind of the way it goes sometimes, especially when your legs are just running out against an LAFC team that was rested, by the way. They had like a week and a half between games, and Nashville had mm-hmm. just the four days. Uh, and now... Some legs coming in, it sounds like. The club appears to be on the verge of finalizing a signing we've been talking about, oh, since uh, maybe January and pretty much every episode. Right. We've been talking about it for a long time, but we've also been talking about it basically like a done deal since before the winter window closed. Nashville couldn't make it happen, but um, we do feel like Shaq Moore is is on the verge of, of being official. I think by the time a lot of people listen, it may very well be in the bag and we'll have much more uh, to talk about it when that time comes too. Yep, no news to break for you just yet, but you've seen uh, seen some, plenty of reporting from multiple sources, starting with Jeff Carlisle uh, last Friday, I believe, reporting. Mm-hmm. And, and by the time you're listening to this, you may have seen a press release from the club. We'll, uh, we'll see. But Shaq Moore, the two-way right back, we're going to get in in just a little bit to everything that he will add to this Nashville team, presuming that that does indeed get over the line. The early shout today, the double-edged sword of Hani Mukhtar's production Shaq Moore, as we mentioned, and a pair of MLS All-Stars from Music City. In the mailbag, we'll talk about the back line, as there were a couple of goals conceded that didn't really look Nashville-esque against LAFC, granted against an incredible LAFC uh, front line. We'll also get into the need to diversify the attack. So the you know the second part, that negative side of Hani's production, the fact that not a lot of other guys are pouring in the goals right now and creating the chances. And uh, we'll also talk a bit through tactics once Shaq Moore is, again, presumably on board but first club and country sponsored by ml rose and tim i need to get my fix it's been a couple of weeks now and the <laughs> unfortunate thing about a 7 30 p.m game on a sunday night is sunday's the one night ml rose closes just a little bit early they close at 10 and i didn't think it would be an ethical thing to do to end our postgame show <laughs> 15 minutes early to get to a burger but I, I considered it for just a brief second hey man ml rose sponsors the pod you gotta you gotta make some sacrifices elsewhere in your life <laughs> to make this happen that that uh that sad beer that I'm sure a few people managed to have on their way out of Geodis Park is uh, fortunately tastes just as good as the happy beer. Maybe it doesn't feel quite as good as the happy beer, but the people at ML Rose will definitely try and cheer you up and make sure that you're having a great time when you when you head in there, regardless of how the game went uh, just down the road at Geodis Park. Lots of happy beers being consumed before those games and lots of happy beers after a Wednesday night against Seattle for sure. And, uh, again, more and more people reaching out and saying that it's become their go-to spot. Even was uh, made a brief foray into the Reddit world, which I try not to do very often, but I was over there and there was an Atlanta United fan that had come into 
town for the the Nashville Atlanta match. I forget which one, either the U.S. Open Cup or the MLS showdown, and and uh, it had been recommended to him. Um, ML Rose and he said, "Yeah, I'll have to try that out." So word is spreading from outside of the Nashville fan sphere and outside of Nashville itself, and it's just great to see, especially when you go somewhere else. Like I went to Toronto last week and was at the airport, and we mentioned how the burger I had. Like I have a new standard now. I've always <laughs> the liked bar ML has Rose, been raised. But it, it really has. The bar literally has been raised as well. <laughs> it's higher than it used to be, I believe, at ML Rose. Uh, that's just a bad one. <laughs> Uh, between the beer selection, the burgers, even the wings. You know, I had some wings recently, and they're fine. Hard to screw up wings. But ML Roses are just that next level above, right? Like, again, these were wings in, an, in a non-Nashville market. Um, wasn't cheating. But, uh, yeah, it's not the same as, as the uh, the four times hot sauce you can get at ML Rose and cry just a little bit as you dive into your French fries. Yeah, and like I said before, the the bartenders are very very willing to make sure that you feel encouraged even after uh, maybe perhaps a two one loss to LAFC if anybody scooted their way out of the stadium quickly enough. But um, after after a win, uh, that's a great place to be. You're going to have a really good time. The bartenders are going to know that a soccer game happens. That would not be the case in a lot of bars across yeah. this town, and it's something that um, we're glad that they've decided to be a part of the soccer community and more importantly, part of our community. ML Rose, when you think about club and country, when you think about Nashville SC, when you think about where to eat before and after matches, go to that 8th Avenue, ML Rose, maybe even park there and walk over to Geodas Park. All right, here's the early shout. Hani Mukhtar is standing over the ball. 43rd minute. Can he draw Nashville level? He can! Hani Mukhtar's 12th of the year. And after Nashville SC went down 1-0, Hollywood Glitz could not cancel out Nashville Grits. Ball sent back in, headed off the post. The follow is in. Just 43 seconds into the second half, Jose Cifuentes has sent LAFC ahead again. That happened quickly. Thanks to iHeartRadio for Nashville's lone bright spot against LAFC. Hani's PK goal to equalize in the 43rd minute, but as you heard just a little bit later, just 43 seconds into the second half, the match changed for good. Tim, I believe, I hadn't looked it up, believes the earliest goal a team has scored out of the halftime dressing room um, this year, and I believe against Nashville in, in MLS history, just 43 seconds into that second half. Yeah, it's not uh, the ideal thing to do, especially when you feel like you were having a pretty strong game. Yes, Nashville's only goal was a penalty kick, but um, they produced the, the I, I would say, lion's share of the chances in the first half. Um, obviously, LAFC was able to score from the run of play. Kind of fluky about that one, too. But I think standing up to and, and often outplaying LAFC is, is a, a better feeling than than playing down to Sporting KC or playing down uh, for a half to Portland Timbers and, and ending up with a loss and a draw in those respective games, especially when you consider that it, it feels fluky because that, you know, that 43-second goal has never really been a thing that struck this team before. Not at all. We'll say that the 46 to the 60th minute mark is the most vulnerable segment of the match for this Nashville SC team. They've allowed uh, more goals in that 15-minute span than in any other chunk um, this season. So, they should do a strike where they just refuse to come out of the locker room until the clock hits 60. Well, then the other team probably <laughs> yeah, just, be to they just, <laughs> yeah. just play around against air. I mean, how, how are they supposed to kick it off? Maybe some time wasting yellows mm-hmm. on, on the way, but mm-hmm. we'll, we'll workshop it. We'll work yeah. It. If you win the coin flip, just make sure you're the team that's supposed to kick it off for the second half. And then yeah, <laughs> that totally works. Yeah. All right. We have a great strategy here. Great strategy. Uh, gold Nuggets. It's a Hani Mukhtar themed Gold Nuggets, uh, of course, once again, as he now has the longest scoring streak in Nashville SC history. Five matches. The previous record was just three. So since we last talked, he set that against Seattle and against LAFC. Granted, the PK, his goal against Los Angeles Football Club. He's now scored six of the last eight goals for this club. Ten goals in ten league matches. Add on to that U.S. Open Cup production. Tim, at this point... I'm going to ask the question we talked about for the, the latter part of last year. Is Hani your MVP frontrunner? When you look at some of the other maybe potential options for, for MVP, um, Georgi Mihailovic has been hurt a lot lately. Um, Tati Castellanos is apparently on the way out in NYC. Kucha Hernandez did not arrive to Columbus until the summer window. Hani's the best among guys that have been available and project to continue being available. Um, the reality is that that makes 
plenty of time for other guys to to catch up to him over these last you know 13 or 14 games for every team but as things stand today um, the, the way he's producing statistically and what he means to this team which we will talk about in a second as well is is valuable means <laughs> means what your value is to the team and he's he's checking that box more than anybody else right now are you allowed to make up ground and win the mvp race i didn't know that was something you could do i thought <laughs> oh, you had to ooh. have the best five games to start the season and then the extra time crew crowns you and then you're the mvp <laughs> Right, so it's going to be Georgie Mihailovic then this year, or Lucho Acosta, I would assume. Just, yeah. just putting that out there. <laughs> uh, Mukhtar's now scored more than half the goals in club history. Pretty cool stat there. 53 of 105. But, Tim, the other way to look at that incredible production, especially this year, is by examining what his teammates are doing. Setting them up, yep, but, but not necessarily diversifying this attack with goals of their own at the moment. Nashville got its first eight goals of the season from seven different players. Mukhtar with a brace against San Jose to, to break that up a little bit. But now only Hani and Sapong have scored more than two goals this year. CJ hasn't scored in six matches. To achieve the heights that it wants to reach this season, does Nashville need to diversify that attack? And by diversifying the attack, I don't just mean the chance creators. I mean the actual goal production. Or do you think Hani has the ability, if he stays healthy, to carry this club with only occasional scoring contributions from other people? How many how many points on the scoreboard does a goal from Hani Mukhtar equate to? Uh, I, last time I've checked, I believe it is one. And how about like I don't know Teal Bunbury or Randall Layall or even Joe Willis? Is this also one goal per one goal per customer? Right. Yes, Ake Loba counts for two. That's the only <laughs> one. That's the only one. So so for now, I don't think it's an issue because opponents have been trying to shut Hani down and have not been able to do it. An issue will arise if they do manage to completely take him away. Yeah. It just hasn't happened yet. That said, somebody might be able to do it. And that's where I think you're going to see contributions from guys that have been unable to contribute, not because they can't get it done, but because they haven't been there. Uh, Randall Layall missed several games after that that horror tackle from Bobby Wood. Anibal Godoy has been unavailable. He's not much of a goal scorer, but he's a guy who's going to spread the ball around a little bit more than um, the current get it to Hani and, and let him cook sort of philosophy. So when Godoy's back um, from the injury that that got aggravated when he was playing for Panama, I think there's a really good chance that it that it does get better. Now, whether it needs to, um, until somebody takes him away, I don't think it has to but I honestly have enough faith in, in other MLS teams that it will happen sooner or later. So, so getting a little bit of help is going to be important. Well, from open play, it, it really started to happen against Hani. He only managed one shot on target, and it was the penalty kick. The horror, only three shots for him in that game. <laughs> oh, no. uh, I know, so mediocre. Uh, but you did see LAFC execute uh, you know, a, a nice blueprint, put three guys around him, and uh, hope that he can't find his way out of that phone booth or find the ball uh, at somebody else's foot, which is where I think a layout's you know, emergence or Sapong finding his form again or Bunbury will help. Because the other the other piece of it, of course, was to have a 17-year Juventus veteran at center back to, to step up. So that, that was a pretty good strategy for LAFC as well. But I, I do wonder at some point if, and maybe if it's already starting to happen, if, if teams are starting to figure out the blueprint, just collapse your defensive mids around him, have a center back who's permanently assigned to him and then pray nobody else can hit the target and they pull a Dax McCarty and just, just can't find the back of the net. Sorry, not, not a lot of teams are going to be able to do that without giving up a lot. Now this LAFC team is, is incredible top to bottom in terms of how they've built this team. Uh, you can't devote a defensive midfielder and a center back and, you know, potential help to Hani Mukhtar. If you're like, I don't know, FC Cincinnati, for example, um, to, to pick one out of my hat, that is definitely not the team that Nashville is playing this weekend. <laughs> Other teams won't be able to do it like LAFC did. Um, and, and again, nonetheless, Hani's still able to produce, whether that's uh, you know with a little uh, not-so-official assist from C.J. Sapong getting fouled in the box. Yeah, uh, Nashville SC with the penalty kick, Hani 12 goals. Uh, but, of course, most of Major League Soccer talking about the debut of Gareth Bale and Giorgio Chiellini. 40 combined trophies between them, 1,205 appearances that, despite Gareth Bale playing a lot of golf and at Real Madrid as they will as they will say. <laughs> uh, Mike Meredith, by the way, got a great shot of of Bale, our our buddy who takes uh, takes great pictures for clubcountryusa.com. Just just some awesome stuff there. And Nashville, I mean it held its own against both of them. I can't say much about Bale. He was in there for eighteen minutes. Yeah. Chiellini started, went sixty before he was pulled. You could tell that was the prearranged deal. Mm-hmm. You saw flashes of quality though from both of those guys. Yeah, I didn't think much of Chiellini, um, to be honest. And that's for the reasons that I sort of expected when I previewed the match. He's a guy who's who's older than me. Uh, and he's had persistent... So he's really in- young, is what you're saying. <laughs> yes, exactly. Yeah. 
barely, barely uh, his life has just begun. But, you know, a guy with his age, with his persistent injury issues over the past couple of years, he's going to have a hard time being up to the level athletically, especially coming off um, a little bit longer of a, of a uh, offseason period since Juventus' season ended. He's going to be really good on the ball. He's going to have to be a little bit more match fit. Um, you know, for Bale, we didn't, like you said, we didn't see enough to know how he'll fit in. L.A. was was really fluid in their front three, and they often mm-hmm. do that. Um, that's not something that probably surprises anybody. But for Bale, getting chemistry with the guys in that front three, finding out where he's supposed to be moving, where that fluidity is supposed to, to let him flow and let Carlos Vela flow, that's something that's going to take some reps. Um, fortunately for Nashville, he did not have those yet. Unfortunately for Nashville, he did not have those yet, and NSC still couldn't <laughs> get the win. Yeah, it, man, that first touch he had, the beautiful little kick to himself in the back heel. Mm-hmm. Uh, you, you saw, of course, the skill that you know he has, and, yeah. and you know they're hoping that he can uh, contribute, stay healthy, and find that that chemistry. Decision day could be really interesting as Nashville travels to mm-hmm. LAFC. I'm going ahead and count. Which is weird because that's like that's like two. This week was supposed to be rivalry week, and these teams played, and then they're going to play on decision days. They're going to be a, a weird rivalry brewing here. It's kind of a, an awkward one given all the rivals that MLS has or has not kind of let Nashville develop. <laughs> well, we'll see. Maybe there's like you know what these guys are going to maybe be in the Eastern Conference next year anyway. So we're just going to do a throwaway deal there. Who knows? Uh, Randall, Randall Leal earned his fourth assist since returning from injury in that Seattle match. And and I think, you know, I asked Gary Smith before the before the match against LAFC, do you feel like you almost got a new transfer in? I know he's only out for, you know, two months, but man, only, he is, he's only. had, <laughs> yeah, he's had a transformational presence at times for this team. Yeah, that's, I mean, I've, I've mentioned um, already in this show and, and many times in the past few shows People don't realize it's it's almost easy to forget what he does for this team. And, and part of that is because of, um, you know, maybe sometimes it doesn't all work out for him. He's willing to rip the long shot. And when he hits it, it's amazing. He doesn't hit it all the time. But the way he opens up this team a little bit with that outside shooting, he produces more room for CJ Sapong because a defensive midfielder has to step out to him, things like that. And of course, we saw, um, like you mentioned, against Seattle, the incredible practically no look assist. Uh, hockey ended up being the hockey assist, I should say, but that's something that, that, you know, you're not getting that from anyone else on this team right now. Maybe at times, you know, when you get the best out of Sean Davis, he's capable of that. When you get the best out of even Dax McCarty, he's capable of that. I think this is like kind of the standard level for Randall a also when he's back fully fit, 90 minute fit every week and able to perform. I think people are going to be really encouraged by what he's able to provide and what it, what it turns this team into as well. Yeah, and what else could help transform this team or strengthen this team is Shaq Moore, the right back, long connected with Nashville SC. Looks like that might just be about to get over the line. 25-year-old, two-way right back. He's in his seventh season as a pro. His entire career has been spent in Spain. If you go to transfer market, he had one appearance for the FC Dallas Reserves because that's what you have to do before playing in Europe, apparently, is play for the Dallas Reserves. Other than that, every (laughs) single appearance has been in in España and he's really emerged in the last 3 years 101 matches for Tenerife in that span 15 caps for the US men's national team 10 of those in major competition gold cup world cup qualifying he's vying for a world cup spot although he's considered an outsider at the moment due to some strength at that at that fullback spot uh, some fun facts before I toss it over to Tim to ask about his potential impact in Nashville. Shaq Moore has played against some of the biggest names in global soccer. He was briefly in the Spanish first tier before his club got relegated. He went up against Lionel Messi. He went up against Luis Suarez, future Nashville SC player, of course. He went up against Antoine Griezmann, but he spent the last four seasons in the second tier. Nonetheless, he comes in looking to find his way into that World Cup roster and to ply his trade for a team that needs his services. I don't know if, if he was in the first division when Garrett, uh, during the time that Gareth Bale wasn't playing um, in the first division, <laughs> although he was on the roster there. Um, yeah, I mean, Shaq is a guy. Shaq is a guy. I always like to make jokes like this, folks. You should know me by now. Um, he's a guy who, who is from Atlanta. Um, I think he, he moved to Florida as kind of a high school. He went to IMG Academy, but his younger brother uh, graduated from high school in, in uh, Fort Lauderdale. So their family moved down there. His dad is a former Trinidad international. Yeah, the mom, mom, a uh, former Trinidad international too, I believe. Um, but this is a guy who has, you know, he has the pedigree. He's obviously come up um, through Europe, which is a little bit harder. Um, you know, as we've mentioned many times, Tenerife just can't 
afford to keep him if they're staying in the second division. And they are because they did not win promotion. I think what you're going to see from a Nashville perspective, um, you know, when he first hits the field for this club is a guy who is going to provide width down the right side. And that's something you aren't really seeing a lot of right now. Um, Eric Miller is, is a little bit more of a stay home right back. Alex Wheels uh, move from winger to, to right, right back kind of shows because he often wants to cut inside and get in those areas at the top of the box. Shaq is a guy who can run the touchline um, and he's a guy who can whip in a beautiful cross. He's that's, he's one of the best crossers in Spain's second division. He's one of the best crossers in the U S men's national team pool. I think one thing that, that people are, are maybe underestimating is, is what you mentioned is that he's trying to work his way into the U S men's national team, not just for September friendlies, but for the November world cup, I think is a pretty good idea to build some chemistry with a guy who's a locked in starter along the back line for the U S men's national team and Walker Zimmerman. I think getting some club chemistry between these guys is something that Shaq sees as an opportunity to, to say, Hey, uh, you know, I'm used to playing with Walker, call me up and we'll play together in Qatar too. And that's something that, mm-hmm. um, you know, is obviously one of the, the smaller factors. It's not the biggest one, but I think, you know, it's, it's something that even if he doesn't realize it, it's something he can use as a selling point for himself when he's trying to make his pitch to Greg Berhalter come, come October, November. And we will discuss his impact tactically for this team in just a moment in the mailbag where you sent some wonderful questions again. But first, Tim, I have a question for you. I, I'm curious if, if you have similar habits to me. Um, do you differ what you order at a restaurant, especially drinks-wise, after a win versus after a loss for your team? Uh, it's more it's more a volume uh, uh, <laughs> for the yeah, drinks for yeah. me depending but no i uh i i keep it pretty consistent i would say overall okay. i don't know I'm, I'm i'm a guy who who gets something different most of the time anyway it's true. Know, i always want to try something that i haven't had before so that is our trademark which is yeah why ml rose is such a great place because their selection is so good that i have not had everything that. there uh drinks or food wise that's for sure because there's so many options I'm working on it. I'm not there yet. I'm maybe only half there though, because you're right. They they really vary it quite a bit. And my wife has a different like palate than I do, so she'll get different stuff, and I'll try it. So I don't know if that counts as having had it. But for me, I, after a, a win, I love a whiskey. I love I love a whiskey. We've not talked really at all about the liquor and cocktail selection at ML Rose. It's strong. It's not just one of those beer bars. Yeah, the beer's awesome, but 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 I. I uh, if I have whiskey after a loss, I get in my feelings. Yeah, you're gonna. Yeah, you're gonna. Get, you're gonna angry. You're gonna be. You're gonna be kicked out of MRO. Something I, I probably. I get. I don't get angry. <laughs> I get existentially sad. Oh, I just get very less. sad. I once had too much Jack while watching Top Gun, and I, oh, I got man. very emotional. Very Spoil- emotional. spoilers, everyone. Spoilers, everyone. I will There's say, a sad part. There's a sad part, and it's not the beach volleyball scene. Um, very happy part. <laughs> yeah, you are. Uh, but but after after a win. To me, there's nothing better than like a, a a celebratory whiskey neat. Don't give me anything on the rocks. It just waters it down. What's the point? Uh, <laughs> good straight whiskey. I don't shoot it. Just a whiskey I can sip. They got good selection there at ML Rose. But after a loss, I'm looking at the beer menu. And I want to distract myself by thinking about what life is like at that brewery because it's not, it's not where my brain is. My brain is in the <laughs> sadness, the sadness of the loss. But Emil Rose has all that, and I think we've we've probably undersold the cocktails. So maybe you're a beer person, and your significant other is more into cocktails. Hey, there's there's stuff for them too. Oh, my wife loves anything with gin in it. By the way, that's her. That's usually her go-to. Ooh, go-to. I I appreciate a good gin here and there, but being a gin person is really something. No, but I'm sure a, I'm not sure straight gin. Well, yeah, yeah, but being a gin person, and yeah, you, gin's in a, a sometimes treat for me. <laughs> if it's got gin and cucumber in it she's in she's that's 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 her ticket well that's a good little combo there that's right absolutely gin cumber um all right so ml rose uh that was somewhat of an ml rose plug i guess a little more about our drinking habits but that's how it goes (laughs) sometimes uh, because that's how we exercise our drinking habits is by going to ml rose and uh, of course absorbing that with copious amounts of burger meat Um, that's the way to go on to the mailbag and uh, we'll, we'll stick with the transfer theme. A couple of questions about other action that could be coming. Trevor, are there any other credible transfer rumors involving Nashville SC? Jason Moles, what day do we expect to know that Luis Suarez will be signing with us? That ship has sailed because Chiellini's already played against Nashville now in Nashville. So 
the biting's going to have to wait another day. <laughs> yeah, every time somebody asks me about this, I respond with a tooth emoji. Um, <laughs> but yeah, I, I mean, for that, among other reasons, I don't necessarily think Suarez is a fit for Nashville, mm-hmm. um, not least of which because I think Nashville sees what he could provide to a club like them, sees what he will cost to a club like them and say... I think that our dollars per goal ratio is, is better used elsewhere. Um, so, so that's something I think you, that you look at. But the boys in gold are going to continue monitoring options. There's um, a handful of, of roster slots open. I believe it's going to be four um, when this Shaq Moore signing becomes official. So there's some space to sign more guys. And um, they're going to be monitoring uh, you know, the, the market to see who's out there. I don't think there will be a big splashy one or we would have heard about it by now whether mm-hmm. whether that's through the the typical rumor channels or or the things that we hear about behind the scenes as well so you could see some additions i think more likely than not they would be um intra-league tr- trades but mm-hmm. never say never mike jacobs is going to turn over every stone as we've seen over the course of this franchise's existence and in finding the best players that he can yeah and sometimes it can happen uh quickly i know you know he, he had talked to john thornton about walker for a year until the price was right but the rumor mill wasn't exactly buzzing and all of a sudden mm-hmm. boom there it was so yeah and, and uh regular listeners may recall we had alistair johnson on our podcast and then a week and a half later he was traded that's something that came up immediately that was not something that, that they're like, yeah we'll let him we'll let him talk because he's yeah. about to leave anyway they had no idea that that was going to come about well and sometimes the dominoes fall right like julian gressel goes to vancouver randomly this weekend um and then as of Monday, as of recording time, Miguel Barry is going to be a DC United player. So as, as the dominoes fall, especially among clubs that see the future as the priority. Now you just never know uh, Mm -hmm. what you might, what you might run into future game can be viable. And Nashville uh, by all accounts has some game that they could spend. Remember I keep, I keep promising this gam thing talking that I've talked about the last like three weeks. Mm -hmm. It will be coming soon. It will be coming soon. I actually started working on it pretty hard this weekend was just uh, expecting maybe b- until until touching base with some people Monday morning was expecting to maybe have to write a, a incoming transfer <laughs> story. So it's, I <laughs> held off on it a little bit, but we'll see when exactly it gets going. Might be saved in the drafts though. We'll see. Uh, so <laughs> there you go. Clubcountryusa.com. That should be your source for all of this information and analysis. We have a, a, a triumvirate of questions here. We're going to read because they're all, Somewhat similarly themed, Stashville, uh, who I'm now six points behind, I believe, in the fantasy standings after oh, he said that he fantasy. derives his life's purpose from being ahead of me in the standings. Buddy, your standards are so low. But <laughs> now I've reminded Tim to check his team for the first time in two months. Uh, Stashville says, how much gasoline would it take to burn the 442 to the ground? I love your subtlety. Uh, Jared, with Shaq's arrival, it seems likely we'll be seeing more of the four at the back. In fact, at the start of the season, it seemed like it could be the go-to formation, which I, for one, am excited for, Jared says. But it does make a tough decision, Mayor or Romney. And then J-Mark, is it concerning that Romney is not getting the start? Do you think this will change with the implementation of Moore? So a a bit of a kind of 1A, 1B here of Shaq Moore. How does that impact things? You know, could it get rid of that 4-4-2? Where does Romney fit in all of that? I guess take whatever on that menu you want to answer and I'll take the scraps. I'll start with Romney because um, Gary addressed this after the game on Sunday night. Um, I was surprised. He mentioned that Romney's exclusion was simply a matter of, of Mayer beating him for the spot. Um, he wanted to roll with the same guys um, that had success in the previous game, and he thought that that was uh, the best option for the for the team. And obviously, um, a guy who had been an Ironman and until a couple of bad moments against Charlotte, consistently very, very good when he was playing basically every minute for this team, um, you know, taking, taking away his spot is, is, is something it says a lot about mayor. I don't think it says a whole lot negative about Romney. He's still an important piece and, and he provides something different from mayor and Zimmerman who are, who are pretty similar players. A uh, mayor and Zimmerman are both kind of your big um, yes, athletic, but, but they're more about kind of the defensive uh, responsibility and stuff. Romney's a guy who has a little bit more makeup speed. He played uh, as a fullback a lot for LA galaxy when he was there, he'll have a role again, whatever it is. Mm-hmm. As for the formation, I actually think the move to a four back is in anticipation in part of, of having a, a right, a true right back again, in terms of how it plays out, I would actually rather see Hanin drop back and, and play more of a real four, two, three, one, which is what, um, Gary Smith had used pretty consistently until kind of switching to the back five. He used it a lot in uh, the USL days as well. It lets Hani be a creator who can still shoot rather than a pure goal scorer. I think 
somewhat ironically making him more the focal point of the attack and possession actually makes life easier on him because he doesn't feel the pressure to be the scorer. He can be mm-hmm. a creator. He can be a guy who's a bit more of a facilitator mm-hmm. and kind of have a role that's, yes, still the most important role on the team, but it's not kind of the all-everything role on the team either. Yeah, to sit back and be a little more versatile in his placement on the pitch and make center backs chase him, and that can open up things for for the defense as well. I'm very intrigued to see how how things go tactically with uh, with more in the mix. Again, assuming that, that that does come through. I think back to the Mayor and Romney question, I, I asked Gary before the match as part of a radio interview, once, once we had the lineup, I said, so your decision was fresh legs versus strong performers, basically. You know, could you rotate Romney in? Sure, he'd be fresh, absolutely. I think Romney struggles against Charlotte, probably led to Mayor getting that start mm-hmm. in midweek, and then... I think you would agree. Gary is as as as, as form driven of a manager as at least I've covered or or been aware of. If a guy has a good game, heck, Luke Hawkinson had a had a knock after he scored his brace against Toronto. Gary still started him. I mean, it wasn't like a safety hazard, but it was like, yeah, yeah. you can do this. Let's go. And you know, he, if a guy has a good game, he's very prone to trot him back out, even if maybe over the balance of the season, Romney's going to play more minutes than Mayor. Yeah, and I think that that goes to Gary's talent as a man manager as well. He knows that if guys realize I play really well in a substitute appearance or if I play really well in a spot start, I am going to get more time. And that's a good motivating factor for those guys. And that's among the many things that he's done very well for this team. And maybe at times it's been to the slight detriment of the team. I, I wouldn't say that that was necessarily the case Sunday night, but it can be. But I think in the long run, it works out far, far to the positive for the club. Logan, is the Shaq Moore deal a good lesson in patience and perhaps the front office's approach to transfers? It would have been easy to settle for whatever was available in the offseason. And the club got shtick for not doing that, but it seems like the persistence has paid off. I, I will say this. you know, I, I would imagine because these conversations are pretty much always ongoing between Mike Jacobs and other executives, I would imagine that there were other options that were considered to quote-unquote upgrade, was the word that was used preseason, over Alistair Johnston. And the idea was to get a player, again, who could be more of an attacking force and get up the flank and, and use those crosses and fuel the attack in addition to being a good defender. I would imagine there have been other conversations inside the league especially, but the question is always, all right, that player could fit here. They could be fine. Is that really the upgrade we wanted when we got rid of Alistair Johnston? And I think the answer probably in most of those conversations, if they if they happen, was no, it's not. And so, yeah, I think patience is important. Um, I, I will say this. I do wonder if Shaq Moore starts against LAFC, does Nashville get a point out of that? Uh, you know, there were a couple of lapses on the on the right back, the right back spot. I'm not calling out Eric Miller, who had one of his best games of the season against Seattle, but that ball lofted over the top by Vela. Yeah, finds ahead. He's just, he's just not the same sort of athlete that you're going to see out of Shaq or, or yes, Alistair Johnston. <laughs> but yeah, uh, yeah, yeah. But, no, I agree with you there. Yeah, that the, you know, upgrade opportunities were out there, but I think maybe it was viewed that the upgrade wasn't going to be significant enough until they could get their guy, and Nashville got their guy. It took a while, but Tim, this one's been in the works for a long time. That's the bigger picture, I think, is, is we were we have been pretty open and at times adamant in the face of doubt. I would say that this deal was happening just a matter of timing. Um, it was not in ink before the season, but it was it was something that I think both sides, Tenerife and Nashville, knew was going to happen. You know, however you want to use that information is up to you. Whereas were people being a little too impatient with the front office assuming that there wasn't going to be a transfer on um, which we heard a lot. Why isn't the club doing anything? The transfer window has been open for like 48 hours. Why hasn't there been a new signing? This is something that we've, we've said has been coming. We've hinted it. We've said it overtly many times. Would it have been nice to get it done a little quicker to get it done in the first 48 hours of that transfer window and, and potentially have had Shaq over the weekend, for example, of course, but you know, this, this, you know, since March, this has always been, been on the way, I would say. So, their approach is is that they essentially have had a deal agreed in principle and, and not quite done, but agreed in principle is is the approach. And that's, I think, something that when you see how Mike Jacobs operates with the respect that he commands from other GMs in this league and other technical staffs around the world, people are going to you know trust him to finish these deals, too. And that's exactly what you saw happen here. Stick things, uh, keep things along the back line. Wyatt, what's happened to the back line in Romney? Both the goals against LAFC, especially the second one, seem to be a total breakdown of the back line. John Malden. So almost all of our defense woes, he says, leading to goals, have been written off as lack of focus in those moments. It's the same group of players losing focus. So how does that get fixed? Player or coaching issue? 
Yeah, I mean, giving up goals is bad. I know this is breaking news to everyone. Wow, but we are breaking news it, today. Yeah, it is important to, to keep in mind who the opposition was, especially on Sunday night. This was an LAFC team that averages two goals per game. Yes, they're coming into your house, but they are the one of the two road teams in MLS that is actually performing better than Nashville as well. So, I mean, we expect Nashville to be better than the average team that LAFC faces. Holding them below two goals is, is a, a reasonable uh, something, a reasonable target to aim for. I think weird breakdown uh, rather than generally bad is preferred to me. I would say that actually, you know, the, the fact that you're seeing weird breakdowns, and I don't think they're consistent, is something that, you know, it's just going to happen, I guess. You know, you'd rather have that than a team that's consistently bad. Yeah, I'm not going to just waive responsibility to defend for a night, mm -hmm. but there is the fact that you had four days of rest and your opponent had nine days of rest, and your opponent's also one of the best attacks in, in this league. So uh, everything with context, right? Uh, you know, mm -hmm. there was a breakdown, a couple of them. That's going to happen against a team like LAFC, as you mentioned. Yeah, well, now I do want to say something about same players, too. Mm -hmm. Um, which which goes back to, um, I believe, Wyatt's version of the question. No, it was John's version of the question. Sorry, guys. <laughs> but I, I think actually you're seeing that it's not the same players. Um, Romney had a struggle against Charlotte. I, I think there's no denying that. He's had very few games that were struggles for him, but he did against Charlotte, including the fourth goal, which maybe didn't count for a whole lot in terms of the outcome of the game, but did make it feel a whole lot worse. Um, you know, he, And he saw the bench. You know, there weren't mistakes against Seattle for anybody to get upset about. There were there were hardly any shots on target for Seattle. Um, the mistakes against LAFC were were partially assisted by again weird stuff that that miss hit that that goes off the side of of uh, Arango's boot and and goes into the goal. Yes, that that's bad, but it's a it's kind of a weird fluky thing. Um, the the second goal, like we said before, Eric Miller is not going to have the leaping ability to to beat out Ryan, Ryan Hollings head for that header a lot of the time. And, and then of course the, the rebound um, left completely unmarked, basically everybody has limitations. We're obviously hoping that the right back uh, will have, will have better, better ability to overcome maybe some of those physical limitations in the near future. Um, you know, I think one of the defining characteristics of the struggles is that they're happening to different guys and that, Maybe that does go to coaching. I don't know if that means the chemistry on the back line just can't quite be established yet, or, or maybe it goes to making the wrong personnel decisions at times. But I do think the fact that they're spread around means that it's not really something that you just plug in a different player and fix it because um, we've seen different players plugged in and sometimes it's fixed stuff and sometimes it hasn't. I don't think that the personnel choices are necessarily that big of an issue because, because it is spread around the way it is. Michael says we are in fifth place at the moment. What do we have to do now? to end the season on an uptick. I'll give you three priorities, I think, that Nashville needs to do to end the season where it wants to be. Number one is to diversify the attack, as we've discussed. And none of these are rocket science, but let's just go ahead and set the agenda here. Number one, diversifying the attack. And that's going to mean developing a backup striker option, whether it's Teal Bunbury as he plays his way you know, into full fitness, starting to score some goals, whether it's Ake Loba, um, you know, finding his form because uh, we know that the ability is there. Somebody needs to step in and be that backup striker option. Getting goals from CJ and Randall is going to help too, and it's going to open up uh, some room for Hani, as we've discussed. And I think becoming more of a threat on set pieces. Walker Zimmerman, as we sit here today, only has one goal this season, and it's not for lack of finding him. Uh, they, they seek him out almost every time, but I think finding guys in the box in those moments, hitting for some more free kicks, as Hani almost did against Seattle. Number one, then, is to diversify the attack in those ways. Number two, you have to stay healthy in midfield. Coming into the season, we looked at that as an area of strength for Nashville, and it is when Dax, when uh, when uh, Anibal, and when Sean are all healthy, but when one is down, like Anibal, all of a sudden you're going to a guy in Anunga who I think is serviceable backup, but is not really meant to start 20 matches in a season. Uh, so I think staying healthy there, maybe even finding a reinforcement in the transfer market while the window's open. Number three cop out because it's not really a third priority it's if one and two happen i think the back line takes care of itself if you have yeah. the goals if you have the ability to keep the ball a little longer if you have the defensive midfield solidity look we don't doubt nashville's defensive ability especially in the heart of that back line so if one and two happen the back line defensively is going to take care of itself for me, it's not even it's not even that much of a, a kind of pragmatic on field thing. Uh, for me, it's feelings ball, which is a a role reversal for us. But uh, it's play better at home. Nashville SC has been elite on the road, fourth in adjusted expected goals. 
but they've been kind of bad at home so far. 14th in opponent adjusted expected goals, uh, can, you know, among 28 MLS teams. Some of that is yes, they were a little front loaded with the tough games. Um, they've already played Philly at home. They've played LAFC now at home. This has not been an easy home slate. But Geodas Park has also not captured the magic. I, I do think if and when that happens, I think there's a lot of faith because of the way that this stadium can get so loud that it could happen. Um, there are eight games left to make up for the long road swing to start the year. There are just five on the road. If you get the expected points at home, which I think for the most part is going to be three points per match going forward, I think Nashville is, is very confident in its ability to win most of its home games is obviously not going to get, win every single one of them at this point, mm-hmm. but they can really make up for um, you know, both the long road swing to start the year and dropping some points already at Geodas Park that they really hadn't dropped over the past couple of years at Nissan. I'll skip down our written list here. It means nothing to the listeners, but I'm just warning Tim. <laughs> uh, as you talk about home performance, Eric East says, concerned with that home form, is Geodas Park too loud? Seriously, is it affecting the back line's communication? Nissan Stadium was a home fortress and nowhere near as loud. No, that, I don't think that's the issue. I certainly enjoy the fans and the supporters, you know, getting getting involved. But uh, no, I, I don't think this ranks just yet as the loudest venue in Major League Soccer. And even at those loud venues, you, you're going to see that. Like the, like the loudest of the loud, like Seattle at its peak, Atlanta yeah. at its peak, you're going to see that bolster the home team more than it's going to practically affect their communication along the back line. Yeah, exactly that. Exactly that. If if it's too loud, it's not to the detriment of the home team. <laughs> you know, it's to the detriment of the visiting team. Um, and I, it's also been a few weeks now. Opposing comment uh, players commented after not the not the first couple games, but after. Um, a few games since then, um, not the LAFC game either that I recall, but I did not double check the, the quotes saying that it's not that intimidating that the crowd only pops after our goal. And other than that, it's just kind of there. I don't think that that's necessarily an indictment of the backline supporters collective, but it is something no. that I think fans can take and be motivated by and say, let's make this a, a fortress for Nashville SC because we have a role to play here too. And I do think um, that home field advantage would get even better if it was louder, not, not if it got quieter. And that's not the responsibility necessarily of the folks listening to this podcast. I think the folks who are diehard, who are showing up, are, are getting active. I think it's probably that many people view Nashville SC matches as the latest novel form of entertainment. And so they're going to mm-hmm. check out the stadium. They should keep coming, by the way, and they should get into it, listen to this podcast, and be big fans. But I think, you know, you need twenty to 25,000 diehards in there instead yeah. of 10,000 diehards and 20,000 passive participants and that's just going to take some time to, to iron itself out uh, so we're not sitting here calling anybody out for that uh, at this point but hey keep doing what you're doing and bring a friend who's going to do the same um, steve cavendish always great with nuanced thought again from lamestream sports and the nashville banner uh, in the wake of the lafc game this is a long one by the way in the wake of the lsc game where again nashville had an equal or superior xg and yet loss i wanted to compare nashville to the top three teams in the east and west to see what stood out about their scoring from open play Nashville has a much worse distribution of goals than any of the league leaders, relying on Mukhtar and, to a lesser extent, Sapong, with little other contribution. It should probably be a warning when Dave Romney is the third leading scorer on the club. He says, None of the top three sides in either conference have such a gap between number one and number two, 10 to five goals, and all of those sides have a minimum of five multi-goal scores. So with all of that, he says, here's my question. Is this a systemic problem? a finishing problem like Dax right in front of goal on Sunday or a talent problem. And I'll add one, Tim, or is it a small sample size? Cause we're just almost two thirds of the way through the season. Yeah. I, I can't believe we got this deep into the podcast without saying small sample size. That is, that is definitely part of it. Cause I do take a slight issue with, with problem when you have an MVP caliber talent, if, and there's no shame in writing him as far as he'll take you. If he has an off game and doesn't quite, you know, hit his expected goals number, you're going to be okay with that. Hani Mukhtar is going to produce enough for you. Um, Nashville is 11th in XG4, and the low goal scoring numbers are below. You know, they're they're well below the expected goals for. I think it's 2.8 um, goals below. That you know, over the course of a season, that is that is enough to be in small sample size land. Uh, the the variance on those is, you know, if you hit one low low probability shot, you're suddenly you know you've, you've erased two thirds of that of that gap so far. So I do think that, and like we've said before, I think getting your second biggest attacking threat back and Randall Leal recently, and hopefully Anibal Godoy very soon. Part of the issue has been the lack of non Mukhtar options when he's not finishing quite like you'd expect him to. 
adding a guy like Leal, who yes, is, is sometimes going to underachieve his expected goals. Cause uh, I think 10 uh, shots of a, a 10% chance of going in are, are you're going to only hit one of them. Um, that's, but that's still 10 shots on goal. It's going to look a little uglier along the way at times, but the one that goes in is going to be as beautiful as any of them. I think that sort of stuff is going to help when it, when it does become a situation where Nashville's got those guys back in the groove, got them healthy, got them in form again. I, I think all of that is, is completely reasonable. I think, you know, the other, the other thing you need, again, I mentioned it above, it, you know, when you have set piece success, it's going to naturally diversify some of that scoring too. And some of those teams listed uh, have, have had that as well. And Nashville has relatively not really on, on mm-hmm. some of these corner kicks and other opportunities. So uh, I don't have much to add to that answer. Um, as usual with Steve, the question is longer than the answer, but we love you, Steve. And that's, that's what we love about you. He did you, all the so. thinking for us. really. <laughs> was, I was about to do the research. I was like, well, let's compare. Oh wait, he already compared. Let's, <laughs> yeah, he did. The, he put the evidence in the question. Um, Daniel Louise, what's the deal with Bunbury being picked over Ake Loba? I, I'll, I'll give my answer here, which is that Bunbury gives Gary Smith more of what Gary Smith wants to see in a striker, right? Especially mm-hmm. at the, at the juncture of the match when, Bunbury's coming in, he's dependable, even if the ceiling might be lower, the floor is higher, he's physical, he's savvy, uh, he's not easily rattled, he's easy to give marching orders to, and you know he's going to follow them. And not every manager is this way, but Gary Smith would rather take uh, you know, a, a, a slightly above replacement player who's going to follow orders than an excellent talent who's going to be more mercurial. See uh, Rodrigo Pinheiro. I mean, my, my answer is, is going to be a little bit simpler and I, Bunbury is seen as the better player. Sure. Um, and I think that's fair. Uh, Teal did have a bad game against Real Salt Lake. He was, he was partially responsible for both goals and was not much of a factor in the attack. And then he immediately got injured. So people remember that about him. It kind of reminds me of, of what happened to Eric Miller in the inaugural year. He was blamed for a Portland goal, which we don't need to relitigate again, but I think he gets too much blame for that. But then the team didn't play again for four months and people just remember Eric Miller made mistake Eric Miller bad and it has four months to kind of sink in in their brains. I think Bunbury's injury saddled him with a little bit of that. He's a much better player than I think a lot of Nashville C fans get credit, give him credit for. Yep. And the, and the fact of the matter with Loba is, um, you know, disappointing though it may be, he has just not put it together yet. Whether he will, who knows? The talent is there. Like you said, the talent is absolutely there. But mm-hmm. um, putting him in the game over over any fully healthy attacking player with a, a decade plus in this league is not something that you're going to expect Gary Smith to do because, like you said, um, you know, high variance guy like Ake Loba can, can go out and win you a game. We saw it against Louisville, but he can also um, create some issues for you that prevent you from winning games in, in other situations too. Yeah. I don't think Bunbury has been treated fairly in the public mm-hmm. sphere. It's, it's really I, weird because because in the places that people talk about Nashville SC on the internet, I see people talking about him like he's the worst player in the league. I'm like, this is a, this is a dude, you know, he's got multiple double digits scoring seasons. This is not, this is not just some scrub that, that, you know, made two mistakes against Real Salt Lake to say the least. No, and he's not produced to the level he would like, mostly yeah. due to the fact that he's not been available. But it, I, it just gets exhausting to to live in the land of, back to small sample sizes, <laughs> X player made great play, so X player is awesome. Y player screwed up one time or two times or just hadn't quite gotten it done in the six matches he's played, and so he is terrible. Like, I just I can't mentally afford like emotionally, psychologically yeah. afford to live in a world like that myself. Yeah. Other people can go on that ride. I just don't have the energy for it. Unless they are clearly an extreme, they're a honey Mukhtar or they're a, you know, insert Rodrigo failed player Pinheiro. here. What are you going to say? Who are you going to go with? Rodrigo Who's your Pinheiro. Yes. Okay. That's yep. Exactly. Exactly. See, there you go. Um, uh, I just, I just can't do it, Tim. I just, it's not even yeah. a logic thing. It's it's a self preservation thing. Yeah, you don't want to ride the roller coaster too much. I just can't, man. There's enough going <laughs> things going on in this world right now. I just can't get mad at Teal Bunbury. I just I can't do it. Final whistle content recommendations. All I got one. I was up actually visiting uh, visiting our good buddy John Freeman up in Virginia this past weekend. Had a great time. My my content recommendation is not to hang out with John Freeman, although that is also recommended. It's advisable. It's advisable. Really good dude. Yeah. I was in D.C. Yeah. for work and I shot on down and, and hung out with him and his wife for the weekend. Had a great time. No, my content recommendation is we watched the women's Euros uh, mm-hmm. while we were hanging out. And, I, you know, with women's soccer, I'm all aboard the USA train. They got a big win against Canada here not long after recording time tonight uh, for a spot in the Olympics. 
but after the USA, I just haven't watched a lot of, of mm-hmm. international women's soccer. We are watching Denmark and Spain primarily because it was on, and I realized, oh, man, this is good. This yeah, is, the, this is the, good level, the level in Europe is, is rising quickly in the women's game. That's Yeah. I mean, for, for my selfish um, desires, it's not necessarily great to see, but for the good of the game, it's, it's awesome. Yeah. Yeah. As the European clubs invest and see this as a, as either Mm -hmm. a revenue stream or as a way to cultivate a new fan base. I mean, good for them for investing. Um, And hopefully the NWSL can continue to keep pace, but at the international level, yeah, more challengers than ever for, for the U S women's national team. And that's, that's great to see, except when it's, my wife's Canadians beating my uh, my Americas like happened in the Olympics. But as as you just said a moment ago, that that is not what happened in the past uh, of what happened with U.S. and, and Canada right. on Monday night. Of course, <laughs> yes, of course. That's we well, I'm knocking on so many pieces of wood. <laughs> I was referring to the Olympics for the record, and maybe or maybe not to what happened uh, Monday night. All right, Tim. What about you? Content recommendations? Yeah, I've got, I've got a couple, and and they are uh, they are both the uh, the podcast of the the two gentlemen who asked me to be on their podcasts last week. We talked about um, Chris Signs from LAFC Shoulder to Shoulder because he guested it on our podcast as well. But check out their podcast. Um, I actually hadn't heard a whole lot about it before, but but got a chance to check it out, and they do a great job. And then MLS Benched um, by Joey O is a podcast that I j- joined to just talk general MLS last week. Really good podcast. A, a, a rising star in the in the soccer media industry. Sixteen year old kid. He might have just turned sixteen. Man, that's yeah, awesome. He's, and he's out here crushing it. So shout out to that's Joey great. O. Shout out to MLS Bench too. As opposed to the maturity of some MLS podcasters, which is well below the age of sixteen <laughs> slash seventeen. That's awesome. So you got benched then, and so you talked about it. That's that's, well, that's why he should that. He should have people say like, "I got benched," and like post like a image on there <laughs> with a bench like stamp. Yeah black and white photo of them sulking in a chair i got benched. <laughs> i love it i love it and uh, we love you guys for listening thanks for tuning in uh i was gonna actually look up the uh the mls fantasy standings but then i've already reminded tim once that they exist and so now he's gonna check his team i don't want him to, to be reminded of that for a second time and, and carry that over i know i'm in 11th place Make it a run, but everybody had a good week last week. It was a two-match week, and there were a lot of goals, so that's the way it goes. It was a two-match week, and I've I've heard tell that uh, Luciano Acosta had a really good week, and you should captain him. Is that is that what happened? <laughs> yeah, was, that, that's because what that's because that's Brilliant. what happened to me. Brilliant, yes, two-match week. You always want the guy who's going to get a red card and then get suspended for the second match of that week. <laughs> and by the way, we didn't really preview Cincy at all, but. Nashville SC going to be playing a Cincy that does not have Acosta because he's suspended for that match. Nashville could very well be full strength, as uh, Gary Smith says on Imbolga Doi, could potentially be back in time for that one. So uh, Nashville SC in Cincinnati this weekend. Nashville SC's never lost to FC Cincinnati. Can they keep it going? We'll find out. Thanks to ML Rose for the sponsorship. Moon Taxi for the sounds, the tunes, the music. That was redundant. Please rate, review, subscribe. Give us a follow on Twitter. Tell your friends about us. Thanks, as always, to the 440 Sports Network. Mr. Braden Gall hanging out down in Atlanta at SEC Media Days this weekend. We'll see if he's listening. Braden, are you listening? There we go. All right. (laughs) Have a great week. We'll talk to you guys next week.